0: commanded his house steward, saying, Fill them in sack with food, as much as they can carry. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. And as soon as it was light, the men were sent away. And they with their donkeys, they had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to the house steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed uses for divination? And you have done wrong in doing this. And so he overtook them and he spoke these words. And they said, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servant to do such things. behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. And how then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever you, your, of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now let it also be according to your words, that he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. And then they hurried, each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes, and with each man loaded his donkey. When each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? And so Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak or how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of our of your servant. Behold, we are the, my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me to do this. The man whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father's house. I can't think of uh, any individual today. There are probably a few, I'm sure, that doesn't want to change in some way. I think all of us do. Matter of fact, I think our world is almost um, obsessed with change in a negative way. Um, Probably the most obvious is changing our looks. And uh, it's just everywhere you turn, you know, do this to your body, do that to your body, Uh, do this to your lips, ladies, right? You know, I mean, that that whole thing of shooting stuff into your lips and, you know, makes them all perky and all, you know, (laughs) So, you know, it's just, uh, sorry, anyway, you know, or uh, it's Botox is what it's called, full. Okay, 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 perky, full, whatever. (laughs) Okay, Um, we want to change careers, we want to change homes, um, but it's true, we are just obsessed with it. Interesting, you may not believe this or thought of this, but the Bible also puts forth that same challenge. Paul said to the Romans, writing to the Romans, Romans 12:2, be ye, you know, the word transformed. So it is there, isn't it? It's clear that we are to change. And there is a major difference. though between what the world says about change and the Lord, the world is always speaking mostly about outward change. And the source is self, where the, the Lord is always talking about the inward person. And of course, he is the source. And as we'll see, as Joseph now reveals himself to his brothers, we see this picture of transformation as seen in his his brothers. Once their lives were filled with bitterness, think about it, Their, their lives were filled with themselves. They hated Joseph for he was favored as a young boy, so they sold him off. They went so far as to lie to their father, saying that he had been killed and allowed their father to live then for 20 years plus with that lie. And so you, we could say they were, they were cold, they were indifferent, they were self-centered, they were people in need of change. Um, but being tested by Joseph, and we'll see one more test this morning, what we just read, um, we see then that these are very different uh, brothers now, very different men now. Their jealousy and hatred seems to be all gone. They show love for their father where before they had not shown love. They are humble humble. And now they're they're mindful of more than just themselves. And so again, this morning, we have a beautiful picture. As last week, we had this picture of the brothers um, coming uh, to Joseph. It's a picture of you and I coming to God in prayer. Here's this beautiful picture this morning that a life can change, and that's what Jesus offers. And so it's a, another great lesson for you and I. Now, as we come to 44... Joseph and his brothers had just finished this second meeting, and as he gets ready to send them back to their father with the needed food, he'll put them through another test. And remember, it's not out of anger, it's not out of revenge. He's not being uh, hateful. He truly is a man of God, um, um, but he wants to know and he needs to know have they really uh, changed? Are they different? And 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 he has his he has his silver cup then. Uh, placed in Benjamin's bag, and as we'll see, their reaction to Benjamin. Remember, he's the youngest. He was the favored. Now that Jacob, uh, for Jacob, now that Jacob thinks Joseph is gone, and he's able to see if they changed, or would they then treat Benjamin the same as they had treated him when they discover, you know, here he is, the youngest one, and look what you've done. And so, it's going to be a great thing for him to find out. Now, the cup of divination is an interesting thing. And hopefully a little radar went off in your head because it seems to be that divination and walking with the Lord contradict each other. And they do. It was a tool that leaders in these days used, the Egyptians and other nations would use, to really discern direction. And so um, what they would do is they'd put a liquid, like probably some water or wine, into their cup. Then they would float maybe oil or herbs or seeds on top. And depending what they did, they would get their direction. Now, I don't recommend you do that. I guess it's I've never had this done. I don't know anything about it. But it's kind of probably like the thing where they read tea leaves type thing stuff, you know, type of junk. And if it it, if there is anything behind it, God isn't behind it. Okay, I'm not sure if there's anything behind it other than hocus pocus. But if there's anything behind it, darkness is behind it and the enemy is behind it, not God. And so it wasn't that Joseph now was resorting to divination, but he's playing the part of an Egyptian. I don't think for one minute he relied on this. The Lord spoke to Joseph. The Lord is leading Joseph, as you'll see. Um, But he wants to learn where his brothers are at. So he's coming across that he's an Egyptian and they have no clue, of course, who he is. And so he sends them on their way. And as soon as uh, he can, they are overtaken by his officials and he learned, they learned, the brothers learned, that they think, Joseph thinks, that he you have stolen my cup. And the brothers are shocked. They can't believe it. Mentioning how they had returned the money from the first time to show they're honest. And of course they are innocent as Joseph is setting them up to test them. And they are so convinced of their innocence you notice, that they say if it is found among us, verse 10, then Take that man's life and put it to death, and the rest of us will be your slaves. That's pretty convincing that we do not believe it's among us. And so searching their sacks, of course, it was found right where it had been put, in Benjamin's sack. And it was all the brothers could do, verse 13. They tear their clothes. You and I wouldn't do that today, but that was an act of a great anguish. You know, can you just, um, it would be like, I, this is a horrible example, but I'll use it, okay? Because I'm known to do that. Um, but it would be like, seriously, it would be like when all of a sudden you hear the death of somebody. Either a loved one or somebody really close. And it just kind of, you know, it's just like it, the anguish just comes over you. And that's exactly what happened here. So much so that they, they just, because they realized the implication. Do you understand that? They knew they had promised to their father to bring the boy back. And so now all of a sudden by saying what they had said, And lo and behold, it's in his sack. They are just flashing going, oh my goodness, what have we done? See, and this is what Joseph wanted to see. Had they changed, and now very specifically, would they treat Benjamin as they had once treated him? And so they're brought back to Joseph, falling to the ground, again fulfilling that dream. Joseph saw that they had bowed down to him, an indication to where they are at inwardly. See, they're very humble now. Joseph confronts them. And rather than defending themselves, what do we read in verse 16 there? Um, we read that, I think it's Judas says, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of our your servant. Behold, we are my Lord's slave, both we and the one whose possession this cup has been found. And so a translation, verse 16, they had changed. That is really the truth. And so Joseph has even more proof now And their attitude toward Benjamin was in fact good. They cared about this younger brother. And so being innocent, they don't argue their case. Notice that. There's no hint of anger. In fact, they go so far as to say, God has found out the iniquity of your servant. You know, that's a great place just to pause for a minute. If we go ahead to the New Testament, this is exactly the attitude God is looking for in man, in mankind. That man will say that same thing, that there is iniquity in in him. Uh, What did John write? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the half of the verse is talking about God's power and willingness to cleanse us. But you realize the other half of the verse is talking about what we just said, that omission of sin, that confession of sin. That's so important, you know that you and I do that. It's a place we begin with the Lord. It's the place we are to continue with the Lord. We are never to leave that place where we think there is no longer confession needed in my life. It is always to be there. There's to be a continual admission that we are sinful and there will be times that we need to confess that sin. And so they had said they uh, take us all as slaves, but Joseph says, no, I'll just take Benjamin and Judah then responds, verse 18, Judah approached him and said, and here, just put yourself here, feel the emotions. He says, O oh my Lord, may your servants please speak a word to my Lord's ears, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left with his, of his mother, and his father loves him. And then you said to your servant, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said your servant, however, unless your younger brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back buy us a little flu, But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us, then we'll go down, for we cannot, can, cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn in pieces, and I've not seen him since. And so if you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to shield in sorrow. Now therefore... When I came to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his father is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. And thus your servant will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with my brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me? For fear I should see the evil that would overtake my father. And so um, Joseph has all the proof then that he needs that these guys have changed. The first thing, look at this, is he, it seems they could have continued home. It really does. That they were free to go and they could have just let Benjamin be taken back. But they didn't do that. That's a great indication of where they're at. Second, they, they then have compassion for Benjamin. So they're not going to just go home. They're going to go back and do all they can so that Benjamin could come back with them. Third, where once they had despised their father. Remember what they did to Joseph, how they lied about it. Now they, they show nothing but great love and concern for their father. And then fourth, and you've got to love this, Judah, who is now speaking for the group, Judah had been the one uh, in the first place who said, let's not kill him, but let's make a buck off him and sold him. And, and and now he's willing to exchange his own life for his brother's life. And so amazing what has taken place. And Judah's words here, I, I'm sure you, they hit you there. They're really something uh, that we should note carefully in verse 16 and, and, and on when he's just talking the way he's talking. The German scholar Leopold once said, one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man, depth and feeling and sincerity of purpose, it stands unexcelled, what he said of what we just read. And it's a picture, isn't it? It's a picture of brokenness. It's a picture of what repentance looks like. You guys, I pray that in our lives... When that is needed, it will be there. I pray that when we need to be humble and repent, and when we need to be broken you know and and have that type of heart, that 's the heart we 'll have like this and so joseph he probed the brothers and he and he saw that what was in their hearts now was good, and his test had showed him that what he needed to see and so once they had been proud, they'd been self willed now we see it it's pretty well all gone they're changed, they are truly transformed. And, and they're truly different men now where there's this humility, there's submissiveness with Judah going so far again as to saying, you know, take my freedom, take my life, that Benjamin can go free. And so that leads then into 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. And he cried out, have everyone go out of me. And he would have said that in Egypt, Egyptian language. They, they wouldn't have known what they just said. All they would know is he just said something and everybody else is, everybody's clearing out of the room. And so, have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made him himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, here it is, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer and and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And so, to say what a moment is an understatement, isn't it? Can you imagine uh, this moment? Years had passed. Joseph had been through much. The brothers had been living with this guilt, as we saw last week, for so long. And now Joseph comes and... Can contain it no longer he has all the evidence he needs that these are these are changed men and he says to them i am joseph one author said it was like a lightning bolt hitting a person so were the words to the brothers i am joseph so much so verse three that it says his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence no doubt you know they thought they were seeing a ghost you know, like. You know, you could just imagine. I looked up the word dismay. It means to be alarmed, to be tremble inwardly, to be terrified or troubled. They were stunned, in other words. You get the impression at first, and remember, Joseph would look very differently. Years have passed. The Egyptians would shave all their head, at least. They would wear incredible head garb as a ruler. They would have eye makeup on. Everything, right? And so that's why I think he says, come closer. And as they came closer, you know, they realized... It's him, you know. And you can imagine thinking he was dead, now having him before them to learn that he was a ruler and they had betrayed him. They had to wonder, had this been a trap? Are the ends of our life now near? Listen to what James Murphy writes about this passage. He said, The natural voice, the native tongue, the long remembrance features would all at once strike the appearance of the brothers, the remembrance of their crimes, the absolute power of Joseph and the justice of revenge would rush upon their minds. No wonder they were silent and troubled at his presence. And with those words, what does he say? Verse 4, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now there was no doubt. They knew who was before them. They knew who he was, what he represented. Everything was out there. So, verse 5, it says, Now, do not... Be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you, uh, preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. And so the incredible character of Joseph now comes out again. Every turn you're seeing what this man is made of. That is why we call him a type of Christ. A picture of Jesus found in the Old Testament. He isn't Christ, of course. He isn't divine. He's not God. But He is a type of Christ in the sense that He shines forth. There's no anger. There's no resentment. There's not a hint of revenge. Instead, there are words of compassion. There are words of comfort. He says, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. The Lord has worked. And so we get this beautiful picture of what? God's grace. You see it? It is an incredible picture of God's grace as this is what Joseph now shows his brothers. And, and what we need to see, watch this, this is, this is a key thing you need to learn, is why Joseph is able to do this and why so often one seeks revenge and anger um, when Joseph doesn't hear, it is because his eyes are on the Lord. And thus he could see what God was doing. That is the difference of how we handle things in life how we handle what we might see are negative circumstances, negative situations. Okay, the difference is how are we looking at them? And if we only look at them through our own eyes and our own perspective, then every time we will look at the wrong way and there will be no grace. But when we all of a sudden look at it and say, "Okay, Lord, what are you doing here? And that's what he was doing. He was wondering, he was looking, you know, God, what are you doing? Now, I think back in Egypt when he was 17 and he got sold off, okay? I'm not sure right at that point he was doing that. But I think at some point getting to Egypt, and remember, I believe at that age he is a godly young man. God gave him these dreams at that age. And so he's mindful of God, okay? And and so somewhere along this whole process... It just started to dawn on him what, he was, what God was doing and he could see that God was working and God was doing a work to, to save them as a people. Notice with his brother standing speechless before him, that's what's going on here. Four times he says God has done this. If you mark your Bible, these would be four verses to mark. Verse 5, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And lastly, verse 9, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. There could be doubt in their minds, but there was no doubt in Joseph's mind who had done what. God had taken him down this road. God had orchestrated things. God had used these events. And Joseph now was able being in the midst of this famine, being in a position of power to see it was God. And so, again, they might not have seen it yet, but it was absolutely clear to Joseph that God had taken Joseph down this road though everything, through everything he had gone through. And so he, his will could be done. The family would survive and Israel would come forth as a great nation. Remember I told you that as we started the whole passages with Joseph? That as we end Genesis, it wasn't so much a study on Joseph, but there was a bigger picture of what God was doing to preserve the nation of Israel. And now you see it so clearly, don't you? Joseph comes right out and says that. And you know what's amazing, you guys? Israel is still there. You realize all these other nations we read about in the Bible are no longer? They're gone. You know, and God... Not only establish a nation of Israel, but having been dispersed, you know the story. It was in 48 they were brought together again as a nation. I was talking to somebody the other day that I don't know what it's called, but it's a doctrine that the that the church has replaced Israel. Let me tell you, that's wrong doctrine. That's not scriptural. Okay, Israel's alive and well. They they are God's people, and God is not done with that nation. You know, and so here we see this incredible picture that that God would save this family and out of that family remember what i told you they go in they go in basically was it 80 men they go into egypt with when we get into exodus we'll see that or at the end of here they go in with about 80 men they come out in the millions several million people will come out of egypt in the exodus and so that's what God was doing here and now Joseph sees that and again this is something we need to learn we need to learn to look for what God is doing in our circumstances and when we do that, we'll be filled with His grace, and we will show the same to others. And it means having complete trust in the Lord, doesn't it? Think about that. You got to chew on this stuff. I have time to think about it as I study, and I'm sometimes hope that you will remember, or at least make notes and think about it. But it really does come back down to complete trust. You know, in everything we go through. You know, are we, and we are to completely trust Him. And I just encourage you right now: Are you in something? And maybe right now, in your own heart, nobody else knows, but you realize, I'm not completely trusting Him in this. As a matter of fact, I don't see Him in this. And maybe this morning, the Lord wants to say, would you give me a chance? Would you at least just say, okay, Lord, I trust You. I don't see it right now, but start revealing to me what You're doing here. You know, in this room, there's so many of us that have been around a while, and I could give you illustration after illustration of my own life of all the different things the Lord has taken myself and my wife and kids through. And yet I could see, you know, God is there. God is in the midst of it, you know. And it's incredible. I think of the days when we used to minister in the Salvation Army and it became apparent that we needed to make a change. Wink had moved some 36 times in her life. The Salvation Army had moved us uh, seven times in like 13 years or something like that. And it was starting to take a toll and We just realized, you know, this isn't the path we want to go. It's not good. And matter of fact, I had professionals tell me, you need to do something. Your wife is not going to make it. And she was going through all types of stuff. So we decided to leave the Salvation Army. It seemed like I left my calling. It seemed like I left everything, Lord. You know, I was so grateful for the work of the Salvation Army. I came to uh, to the Lord through the Salvation Army ministry, you know, and all that. But little did I know. Now we flash ahead to 2002 that someday I'd be standing before all you, and God would be using me to disciple you. See, and you just look at those things and you realize that God's in that type of stuff. And I want to encourage you by that, because maybe you're about ready to to bail. Maybe you're about ready to make some radical decision that you maybe you're not supposed to make. You know, maybe you're you're to just realize, okay, God, you're in this. Help me to see it. You don't think Joseph struggle at times in prison and then he thought okay the the cupbearer that's my hope yes he's going to go out and i'm going to get out no no two more years two more years he remained in prison because the cupbearer had 54 year old memory loss okay <laughs> you know and so you'll get there if you're not at 54 yet but you see what i mean and so again he, God was doing this incredible work. Another thing about this whole thing, I like what Chuck Swindoll says. It says, Joseph could never have spoken such words of reassurance if he had not fully forgiven his brothers. You cannot generally embrace a person you have not fully forgiven. And I thought, boy, that's a whole other aspect of this as well. And so Joseph, again, an incredible type of Christ. Well, let's go on. Verse 10, you shall live. Now he's talking to his brothers. You could just, Can you just imagine this, you guys? Can you put yourself in this? I'm not. They so far they haven't said anything. (laughs) I think they're just still there. They're just kind of like, you know, and they probably look like mannequins, just like, you know, just. And so he says, "You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have will would be impoverished." Behold, your eyes see; the eyes of my brother Benjamin see. That is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father, and all of, of all my splendor in Egypt, and all that you have seen. And you must hurry and bring my father down here. And then he felt on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin went back, and he kissed all his brothers and wept with them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. So now they finally are, can say something, you know. And so they are reconciled. You know, Joseph's heart was right. Their hearts are right. God's love wins out. And it's an incredible picture, isn't it? It's obviously a very tearful reunion as um, they realize, hey, he doesn't hold anything against us. And they are just so, the relief has got to be incredible. And so verse 16, Now when they, the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers came down it pleased Pharaoh and his servant. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your household and come to me and I'll give you the best of the land and you'll eat of the fat of the land. Now you, you are ordered, do this. Take wagons for the land, from the land of Egypt for the little ones and for your wives and bring your, uh, and bring your father and come and do not be con- concern yourself with your goods for the best of all the land is yours. In other words, just leave your house. Just jump in the wagons and come. See, and that's kind of cool. And so Pharaoh obviously isn't a worshiper of the true God, okay? Uh, the Egyptians worship pagan gods, but he is wise enough, okay, give him this much credit to know what Joseph had done for him and his country And he's grateful for that. And so he's willing to do what he does now for Joseph. So verse 21, Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And you want to know what that's all about? Why the emphasis on garments there? Because clothing was so valuable. I mean, if you're like me, You know, I heard the other day that out of all our clothing, we only wear 20% of the 100% we have. The average person we wear, most of the time we wear 20% of our clothing. Okay? I mean, I thought about that. So, yeah, that's true. I've got my favorite T-shirts, you know, my favorite pants, and those things are going that never wear. But anyway, but clothing was very valuable. And you didn't have a lot of clothing, so that's what that's about there. And to his father he sent as follow ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and substance for his father on the journey. And so he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, they said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. And again, you might think, don't quarrel about what you had done. Uh Uh-uh. You want to know why he says that? They're about to face Dad. Remember, they lied to Dad. Could you imagine the conversation on that trip? of those brothers having to face the fact we got to go tell Dad Joseph's alive. Basically, we got to go tell Dad we lied. See, So Joseph's very wise. He says, don't quarrel. In other words, don't do not do that. So they went up from Egypt. They came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and indeed he is ruler over the land of Egypt. But he was stunned for he did not believe, just like they. And when they told him all the words that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father revived, and then Israel said, "It is enough, my son, Joseph is still alive. I' will go and see before I die It's almost like if he, I could picture him in one of those those great big Bedouin tents you see when you go to Israel, there are these massive black tents take up as much space as this room, you know, and you could just see Joseph, Jacob's in there, and the brothers go in and try to tell him, and you know finally they say, "Come on out, and so they come out." And as he he comes out, there's all the wagons and everything, you know, and probably decorated like Egyptian wagons or whatever. And then he knew, okay, good. Either they ripped off Egypt or what they're saying is true, okay? And, of course, he knew it was true. And so uh, it's incredible, isn't it, the work that God wants to do. Let me just give uh, three things, and then we're going to have a time of uh, taking of communion this morning. I think the first thing that we want to remember as we look at this passage and we think of what Joseph went through and everything else is the first thing is remember that righteousness is going to win out, you guys. We're to keep living the righteous lives that we've been called to live. Living in a world like we live in, an unrighteous world, it only goes to say that we are going to be tempted to partake of that unrighteousness. And you and I need to be constantly reminded, live the righteous life. Joseph's an example of that. He rose up incredible character, credible man of God, and he was able to do that. And you and I are called to do that. We're called to a, a higher way of living, not a, not a privileged way in a sense of a, to, we rub our noses uh, or rub other people's noses in it. That would be the wrong attitude. But we're called to a, a different way of life. And the thing that is about this, we have to understand, is the Lord gives us the means then to live that life. You know, And so God's righteousness in the end will win out. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we'll reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those of the household of God. And so there is a reaping that's going to come. And righteousness is going to win. And we want to remember that. John Butler wrote this, Righteousness will triumph over evil. Evil will bow down. Evil will be in terror. Evil will lose its power as righteousness is exalted. Righteousness has a glorious future. Let the believer never lose sight of the fact, though, that present, uh, that the present may do all it can to destroy our confidence that right will win over wrong. And so that's a good word, isn't it? And so in other words, maybe I would say, keep fighting the fight this week. Okay? Do you get weary? Of course you get weary. I get weary. You know, But keep fighting the fight. You know, you say, I can't go on. Yes, you can go on. You can, can you go on to your knees? I'm serious. Then you could go on. You can't go on if you don't go on to your knees. But if you go on to your knees and there tell God, I can't go on, you'll be able to go on. See? And so keep living that life. Second thing we get out of this whole thing, kind of the same in a way, keep a God-centered focus. You know, Joseph went through some incredible things, all of which he could have easily lost sight of the Lord. Uh, near death in the cistern, in his early days, sold to slave traders. Then he's exalted for a time. Then he's falsely accused. He's in prison. He's forsaken. And finally, incredible prosperity. And you think, you know, you think, you know, even the last one sidetracks a lot of people. You know, we think that, uh, you know, not having and struggles sidetrack people, but there are many people that prosper materially and they also walk away from the Lord because it's a very hard thing and yet it all, it all he came to see God's hand was in it and he kept his focus on the Lord and this is what the Lord would have us do it's a beautiful thing isn't it when, when uh, he, he says to his brothers those four times but God 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 he is the second most powerful some say in the world at that time Egypt was the nation of the world at that time so he is the second most powerful person. And it seems like not a big deal. You know, not a big deal. I'll tell you the big deal, brothers. It's God. And that's what he tells them. And so he had his His hand is on all that we're going through, have gone through, that it might result in, in praising him and serving him faithfully, that his purposes might be done. And that's where you and I need to be. And our attitude is crucial. A good attitude helps us see the Lord and seeing the Lord... Helps with our attitude, but that is important. And then the last thing that came out was, remember, be a person of grace. No doubt the brothers deserved and expected anything, but what did they get? They, they, prison would have been, death would have been what they deserved, but they got grace instead. F.B. Meyer said, he kissed all his brothers. Simeon, yes. Reuben, yes. Those who had tied his hands and mocked his cries, yes. He kissed them all. I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we read, It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, that you can that no one can boast. Years ago, when I was young, there was a cartoon in the paper, Dennis the Menace, and some of you will remember it. But Dennis, in one of the Dennis the Menace's cartoons, uh, once the author, maybe knowing what he was doing, he put a really incredible picture of grace, Dennis was shown walking away from Mr. Wilson's house with his friend Joey, and both their hands were just brim full of cookies. And Joey asked Dennis, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis delivered an answer packed with truth. He said, Look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. See? And that's God's grace. See? That's the wonderful miracle of God's grace. We get it because of Him, not us. Well, if the team will come up, the worship team will come back up. If the ushers would go ahead and get ready to pass out the uh, the bread and the juice, we want to take up communion now. And as we do, um, try to just stay focused. Try to uh, be mindful of what we talked about. Um, I'm sure you felt the Lord speak into your heart during the message. Well, now take it, and however he's been speaking to your heart, just let that continue as we take of the uh, communion. And so um, the ushers um, will come forward in just a minute. Hold your bread and hold the juice, and then I'll lead you in a time of communion. So let's pray. Our Father, as we take of communion now, as we um, do what we've been commanded to do, Uh, to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, His body, His death, His shed blood. Father, we pray that You'd speak to our hearts. We are so grateful that a passage like this this morning, Lord, reminds us that it's possible to go through hard things and go through them in an incredible way. It's possible, Lord, because of You. Um, It's possible, Lord, to change. It's possible to know Your grace. And so... Father, I just pray You'd speak to us now. You'd minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen.